Hello. QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA plus audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA plus world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to this week's hashtag QueerF. I'm Jamie Wareham. Usually, we play a story to you presented and produced by a different LGBT plus reporter whom we mentor and for many is their first audio commission. But as a project of National Student Pride, this week's episode is a live podcast recording from a National Student Pride event. This episode was recorded at the podcast's Access All Rainbows event a couple of weeks ago and is a discussion with a live audience at the University of Westminster about being LGBT plus and disabled. Joining me, Jamie Wareham, for this conversation is life coach Shah Bailey and TV drama script editor Callum Jedges. Welcome to the Hashtag We're a podcast live recorded at the University of Westminster tonight. <laughs> With our gorgeous live audience, how lovely is that? So we're here tonight to talk about being LGBT plus and disabled. Two big labels there, which we're not going to try and unpick in 20 minutes because there ain't time for that. But we are going to like get started because being disabled isn't something that gets talked about loads, not particularly in open forums. And I think in the queer community, and you guys can disagree with me in a minute, we, we get stuck on labels quite a lot. But labels can also be really empowering. And I wanted to start by asking both of you how you feel about that word disabled because I've gone through a journey very recently where I've realized that actually my hidden disability is is a disability it's not just a long-term health condition it has a big impact on my life and actually there's no shame in in calling it a disability which is something I felt before um, and I wondered how you guys felt about that. Shah do you want to start? Well, for me I think it's only really 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 recently that I've stopped being ashamed and got a little bit more brave and owned my hidden disability because I always worried, especially in the line of work that I do, I work with people, I help people, I'm a life coach, that they would say, well, well, you're autistic, how can you help me? How can you see things in a more positive way for me? And it really made me worry that people wouldn't want to talk to me or they wouldn't hire me. And I was really ashamed about it, so ashamed that I didn't actually look at what it meant to be autistic, especially being an autistic woman, the characteristics are so different. And actually, now I know more about what it means to be an autistic woman, I'm like, I will take that label. <laughs> I will take the disabled because as, as much as there are lots of things that are barriers, potentially, there are lots of things that make me more compassionate and more unique and more able and willing and wanting to help others. And essentially, I think that's what we're here for anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how about you, Callum? I think uh, that's a great way of putting it. I think 
taking it and owning it and running with it and waving it as a flag for everyone else to follow you because certainly for me uh, as someone with a very obvious disability, I, I use a wheelchair, um, that sort of realisation and acceptance of being disabled came quite late, I would say. Uh, I, I went to a mainstream school. Um, I didn't sort of uh, socialise with other disabled children. Um, despite my parents' best efforts, they would <laughs> take me to a, uh, a sort of leisure centre similar to Chris's and sort of bribe me to, to play wheelchair basketball and say like, we'll, uh, we'll buy you a, a lion bar if you, if, you, if you just like go into the hall. Like you, you can have whatever you want from the vending machine, it's yours. Um, and thankfully that, that sort of did work because I ended up playing wheelchair basketball for a couple of years until I went to university. And then um, very fortunately, um, it's something that I have issues with for other reasons, but very fortunately I was able to take part in uh, Channel 4's uh, production training scheme, which was uh, specifically for people with a disability. Um, there are lots of issues about tokenism that we probably can't get into <laughs> now, um, but that was the first time when I'd really been around people with sort of a myriad of different disabilities. And they were all sort of of similar ages. And I was like, wow, this is my clan. This is my group. Like, why is it taking me 20 years to kind of find this? So I guess I just wish that I'd found that earlier and that we can be more visible by waving those flags and by wearing those labels um, and sort of help people discover that they've got a community and they've got a family earlier on so they don't have to feel alone or isolated. Yeah, and it's funny when we're talking about these stories actually because um, for any other queer LGBT people in the room, I'd imagine you'll have heard your queer story in that, that story there about disability. And I, and I think there's a really interesting thing when we talk about coming out. So I always say, not only do you know, queer people coming out, Justin Bieber fans, they have to come out too, right? So there's lots of things about us that we, we can't always see. It's not always stapled on our forehead. Um, and uh, we was chatting earlier, Charles, um, and you was telling me some interesting stuff. Uh, uh, Dabble a little bit of reading it, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about from you, about how there's some links between autism and queerness. Um, and I wanted to delve into that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I did what everyone who just gets diagnosed with autism does, and I just went onto the internet and onto YouTube and looked at all the books that I could find. And my girlfriend, actually, who is the most supportive, wonderful person that I could be with, she bought me a book by a lady called Sarah Hendricks, and she specialises in autism. Her husband's autistic, she's autistic, her children are autistic, and she's a psychologist. And what she was saying in this book is that over 70% of people who are autistic are also, also identify as queer, and 50% of the women who identify as autistic um, and queer say that they are not necessarily queer in terms of being a lesbian, but being more androgynous, having this androgynous view of the world, not potentially feeling as though they're male or female. And for me personally, like if you know me personally, you know that I will call myself an alien 10 times a day. It's just how I identify. So for me, as a queer woman, I've always been happily queer, always loved girls, always loved women, always been happily about that. But actually understanding that 
it's not just about my queerness, it's about the masculine and feminine energy that I have. It's about an understanding of how I see myself in the world and how I perceive myself. For me, that makes being queer and being autistic make so much more sense. And in terms of loving myself and accepting myself, it's like, oh, well, now here's the doors open. I can now accept myself and love myself and value myself and feel that I deserve this space because I now have almost a reason for the reason why I'm like this, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and Callum, you alluded to in, in your, your story at the beginning there that, that obviously as, as growing up, you were, you were hesitant to join in with some of those things that were labelled inherently disabled. Will you talk to us a little bit more about how you, like Chris did, like we have, started to, uh, to overcome that hesitance? Uh, I think I wouldn't be able to kind of pinpoint specific things. I think, oddly, I, I was thinking about it as, as we've sort of been talking. And so I, I came out as gay before I really, truly accepted that I was part of a disabled community. So I, it's, it's really strange. It's difficult to, yeah, as I say, difficult to pinpoint because it was so gradual and I think because my disability was so visible, I was constantly faced with people's reactions to me and how people changed and adapted what, how they would act or how they would talk to me. And so you learn over time, you learn how to very quickly overcome some of those things or how to use them to your advantage <laughs> so that um, line bars, right? <laughs> <laughs> well for example I've had this in my professional life where I've been organizing an event and something hasn't gone right and a supplier who was bringing things to, to an event um, we'd provided him with the correct address he'd just driven to the wrong one and assumed that it was at a different place not my fault, triple checked it, I was right. <laughs> Often am. Um, but uh, so he, uh, he was sort of furious with me on the phone. I was just trying to calm him down. Eventually he comes to the right place and has pointed to a colleague of mine and it has a face of thunder and is about to sort of like just completely tear into me. Uh, and then uh, I sort of spin around in my wheelchair, offer out my hand, and I can honestly see his face reconfigure like a Picasso painting <laughs> as he tries to be like, oh God, I just can't shout at this guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> and I could totally see that happening in his face and just completely use it to my advantage. Um, and luckily everything was really, really so like, very easily sorted, um, and he was a pleasure for the rest of the event. So I wonder why. <laughs> it sounds like a little bit like when uh, I'm tired and I ask my boyfriend to carry things around the house. What do you think, Pat? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about how we've got different parts of us and they intersect. How does queerness and disability intersect? you both. Callum, I want to start with you because you're a storyteller too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I, uh, I work as a script editor in um, TV drama and luckily that's an incredibly inclusive uh, industry, at least, well, certainly for, for being gay. Um, it does often get criticised for 
um, how uh, white it is uh, and also how um, male heavy it is, particularly with writers. So um, we have a responsibility in the industry to um, pioneer and champion voices that are diverse and that often don't get uh, the platform that they otherwise deserve. Uh, and I'm, I am both so happy and also so privileged to be able to kind of facilitate that. And I know that that is my part of my responsibility in working with new writers. But um, I think also more of an intersection, less professionally and more sort of personally, um, is that I, I, I do struggle to kind of square the two... Uh, the two kind of labels in my head. Uh, there is often a, um, I often feel very sort of alien in the LGBT community for being sort of physically disabled. Um, there's kind of this picture perfect kind of gay, uh, sort of white, um, very heterosexual looking, heterosexual acting. Um, mask the mask. Yeah, yeah. The, kind of, the kind of mask um, gay. And when you sort of don't conform to that, there is kind of this like, oh, am I, like, what's, what's wrong with me? And so you kind of seek solace from the kind of disabled community because they know exactly what that feels like, although they may not be gay, they can kind of, they know what that feels like from any perspective, from... Um, how they might be stared at on the street, but then when you kind of entangle sex and romance into that, it, it becomes even more tricky when so much is predicated on the physicality of someone. Um, so I have, in, in nightclubs, felt particularly sort of observed and watched as though I shouldn't be there. I've been congratulated for being there. <laughs> She's like, dude, I just want to buy a double vodka and coke, just like you. And like, I actually quite like Lady Gaga, so I'm here for that. Not, I'm not for your praise and for your sort of um, inspiration porn, which often happens. Um, again, use that to your advantage. People have brought me probably into the hundreds, if not thousands of pounds worth of free drinks, just because they think I'm admirable. And uh, that's where I'll leave that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so National Student Pride put out a video today about things not to say to lesbian, bi, trans, LBQT women, uh, and National Student Pride spells women with, a, with an X, um, just as a, an important note there too. Um, Shah, we was, uh, you're a volunteer with UK Black Pride as well. So as well as uh, ticking some arbitrary boxes from a queer and disability box, POC is part of your intersections too. Um, tell me what you, you, you were saying earlier, you started to look into autism um, and you didn't see many people you recognised. Well, I didn't see any people that I recognised. Um, just through scrolling the, the National Autistic Society website, and I actually wanted to apply for a job as an engagement lead in one of their outreach centres that they have. And as I scrolled through the application form, I didn't see one person of colour. And I really want to work with autistic people and I really want to use the skills that I have to help them. But I don't know where the people who can connect with me are. I don't know where there are people of colour who have autism. I don't know how culturally being autistic and being a person of colour growing up affects you, because I know that 
culture affects you as you grow, irrespective of whether you are abled or disabled. I haven't seen, apart from on YouTube, any women who are autistic who are also women of colour. And that's, that's why I'm here, really. I don't ever want to step into a platform and say, I own this space because I, I'm not the master on autism. I don't know everything there is to know. But what I do know is that if there's anyone out there who looks like me and looks into the autistic world and doesn't see themselves, they might feel how I felt. And I don't want anyone to feel that because being a disabled person means that you are ostracised and you feel shame and you feel a need to be accepted all of the time. And if you don't see yourself, you don't feel that there's an opportunity to be accepted. So that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> have you seen yourself since? Um, I haven't, but I have emailed the CEO of the National Autistic Society who has emailed me back and said, anything that you need help and support with, I will help you. And that was actually today as well. So because I didn't see myself and for so long, even as a, as a black lesbian woman, I didn't see myself until I saw Lady Phil. And I reached out to her and she helped. And I thought, if I do the same thing here, would that work? And it did. It did. So I think I'd say, if you ever don't see yourself, have a look at the people who, look at, who run those organisations and ask them, can I be visible here? And more often than not, they will say yes. And what you've just touched upon there as well is, is the importance of representation. I think in the media land that I work in, we talk about that a lot. I don't know if we always do it, uh, but we certainly talk about it a lot. Um, but like, as a storyteller, Callum, you're doing some work on this. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to share a little bit about what you've done, um, because it's starting to give people that opportunity to be seen or to see themselves. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's sort of most prevalent um, in actually, a, uh, I would say, yeah, pretty much uh, the sort of three main shows that I have, um, that I've worked across. So um, the kind of uh, first job I had uh, in TV was on Ackley Bridge, which was a sort of school show for Channel 4, which was about bringing together a, um, a white and a predominantly Muslim school um, and then seeing how that would work in a kind of very um, uh, sort of economically... Um, poor uh, town, similar to the likes of um, maybe Bradford or, or, or somewhere similar. Um, and they were very sort of um, clear in their uh, aims of telling sort of diverse stories of these school children, whether that be um, race, whether that be uh, sexuality, whether that be disability, whether that be socioeconomic background. Like, it was really just, um, we want to create a melting pot of these stories because we need children and, and the viewers of the show, largely sort of 13 to 16 year olds, to kind of feel represented um, on screen. So that felt sort of really important. And then um, I went on to work on um, a show called Giri Haji, which was uh, a sort of uh, Japanese-British kind of thriller that was on BBC Two quite recently. Um, and what I loved about that is that there were two um, LGBT characters um, Taki and Rodney, both who were Japanese, or Rodney was part Japanese, but the story that we were able to tell was so great because, yes, there was a slight coming out element 
to one of the storylines, but um, Rodney's storyline in particular is about a very sort of self-confident, very aware gay man who just understands what it means, what he needs to learn essentially what commitment is. And um, we had a really nice sort of tagline for him, which was um, Rodney comes from, or Rodney is a product of middle-class neglect. So he, he, um, he is born to a white mother and a Japanese father, but uh, who lives sort of in a million pound townhouse in somewhere in West London. And, uh, but he now lives as, and works as a rent boy in Soho because his parents have basically just not necessarily disowned him. They love him and they care for him, but they're just so absent in his life and they, don't, they care for themselves, not for him. And um, he doesn't know how to form proper attachments or proper relationships. And so I thought that was a real, really interesting LGBT story to tell that wasn't just a coming out story. And then the kind of antagonistic force in that story is people not being accepting of that. It was kind of everyone in the world of that story accepts him. Uh, it's just he has to deal with something that anyone might deal with, whether they're gay or straight, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. And, and Callum is working on some top secret stuff, which he can't tell us about. And I'm not supposed to ask any questions about it. But I'm going to leave it hanging for a second, just in case he wants to add anything. Uh, so the show I'm working on at the moment is a TV show. <laughs> and uh, equally, like the other two I've just talked about, it, it even more so looks at um, uh, sort of differences in um, sort of diversity in a very sort of small uh, town community. And um, one, one sort of area that's really important to me is that it, it quite heavily focuses on disability and people's reactions to disability and does not shy away from showing people being very, very uncomfortable around quite severe disability. Um, and... Uh, that I just I really like to just poke that as much as I can and be and just really like see how far we can take that to kind of not only challenge the views of our characters but also challenge the views of everyone watching at home. Absolutely. Now look, I haven't stuck a theme or a question on this because I think you know being LGBT and disabled we could have we could have picked any number of themes. We've touched upon access. We've touched upon representation. There's a, there's, there's hundreds of things. I think we're at the start of a story here with being LGBT and disabled. Um, so rather than ask you for one of those things that you often get at the end of the panel where they're like, so how do we fix this? How do we, how do we solve what we've got going on here tonight? I'm just going to ask, actually, what are the stories, what are the conversations that we need to start having? What does everyone out there listening start need to think about when it comes to being LGBT and disabled? Come on, do you want to start us off? It's still a big question, big sorry. I was trying question. to go small. <laughs> um, just, I guess, don't see the label as something that's negative. Uh, embrace it for what it is, a label and a way of um, helping signpost uh, people and to, to you. And uh, that might not necessarily always be the people that you are aware of. That might be people that just look up to you, and, or not necessarily look up to you, but look at you and, and to you 
um, and you never know sort of who you might make an impression on. So um, wear the label, as we said, with pride and wave that flag. And Sha? I think for me, because obviously my disability is hidden, it's a little bit different. So for me, when I see somebody with a disability who's also queer, it's a visible disability. More often than not, they've had to deal with having a disability before they've had to deal with being queer, especially if it's a disability from birth. I think there's some compassion that we need to have as individuals when we see people who are queer in our spaces and they are disabled, because we don't know whether that's been something they've had to deal with their whole life and make you were queer when you were seven or whatever, so, you know, or 16. So let's just have some compassion around, you know, we keep saying we never know what's going on in people's lives. And that leads me really nicely onto my disability isn't visible. People look at me and say, you're so confident and you're so eloquent and, and you can do this and you can do that. And yes, I can, but you know, I cried for about an hour before I got here today. I had to go for dinner with my friend and be in a calm space. I often can't wear certain clothes and often feel as though the lights are too bright or I'm very small when lots of people seem much bigger than me or there can be lots of things. So I think it's not so much about what we need to be talking about. It's what we need to be thinking about as individuals when we're in queer spaces, when we're looking at our siblings, it's not just about who's got the nicest Balenciagas and the six pack and, you know, who's the feminist lesbian out there. It's about, I need to love myself and look at how I can be kind and compassionate enough to be able to love my siblings because otherwise, without doing that for each other, we can't go anywhere and we're all just trying to go somewhere lifting this quote directly from a TED talk, but it was a TED talk that, yes. that like made me cry after I watched it. And actually, weirdly, it's about like HR hiring. <laughs> Stick like, with us, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, re it, apply it just apply applies so well to this, which is we're not who we are in spite of adversity. We are who we are because of adversity. And I think... That, yeah, it just resonated so well with me because I think being both gay and disabled, you have to turn the lens on yourself so much and do so much kind of self-analysis of like, who am I? What do I want? What, how do I navigate this? How do I like get a career in an industry that's like reliant on you being quite physical and like able-bodied? Um, and you have to do so much of that introspective thinking that you get to know yourself really, really well. I don't think that's uh, something that uh, our sort of brothers and sisters can say with such confidence. So just know that like your disability and your LGBT and your queerness, that's a better way to say it, um, will... Um, just has, has made you a better person because you've had to figure out who the hell you are. Absolutely. Who thought HR would teach us something something we'd all enjoy, <laughs> hey? We'll stick the link in the show notes. Um, that brings us to the end of Hashtag Query F tonight. Just a couple of thank yous before we say goodbye. Thank you to our live producer sat over here, Grace Hayhurst. Woo!
Thanks to the University of Westminster for hosting us, but in particular, Sheila, who's been wonderful. Where, where are you, Sheila? There you are, at the front there. Thank you so much, Peter, uh, and, and the whole team uh, here at Westminster. That is absolutely everything. If you haven't got your tickets to National Student Pride this weekend, you're too late, we sold out, so sorry. Um, but you can catch us live on our Facebook and with our media partners, uh, Attitude and Diva. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, tune in next week for Martin Joseph's episode where Charles back talking yes. about dating and autism, which is another great conversation that makes this yes. thing go on further, which is fabulous. We are Hashtag Queer F, and so are you. Thanks to the University of Westminster for hosting us. Their Vice-Chancellor Peter Bonfield for being such a great supporter of National Student Pride and Sheila and the whole Enterprise team at Westminster for making this event possible. Stay with us for the trailer of what you can usually hear from a Queer AF podcast episode. We'd love it if you went back into our feed or depending where you're listening, go forward too because we are hashtag Queer AF and so are you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why do I always end up with the sex-themed podcast? Hashtag Queer F is back for season four. With more LGBT plus reporters than ever. Like Rosa from Bristol. I have a confession to make. I don't really feel queer AF. Even though I've always fancied girls and people across the gender spectrum. I just managed to believe that because I also fancied boys, it didn't count. Jacob from Manchester. I want to go deeper into my personal life than ever before. Rory from Dublin. That's why it's still so hard for me to fathom wandering to a tube station at 5am high on drugs I'd been forced to take. I was living a real life nightmare. Eve from Leeds. You said that Granny wasn't necessarily surprised, but you'd lived a heterosexual life, and at this point, obviously, you were divorced from a dad. I, I guess you learned from that experience and helped me come to terms with whatever we were going through during that phase of, of life. With more stories about love... Yeah, slid into the DMs, <laughs> and then... Yeah. The rest is history. Dating. <laughs> Every know, time right? I even... Either dating or in a relationship. I really like dating. I love women. I love sex. I feel like I'm at AA meeting. And working out just who the hell we are. I have been in three relationships. Two of those with men 
and one with a woman. Identifying as pansexual, gender doesn't matter to me, but it seemed to have mattered a lot more to other people than it should have. Hashtag Queer AF, the podcast from National Student Pride. When you listen, you support the students, graduates and LGBT plus reporters we mentor to build their audio portfolio. In return, they tell you beautifully produced queer stories. I'm Jamie Wareham, and we're back in your podcast feed where you can get us for free every Monday from Jan 27th with a different LGBT plus reporter. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and podcast apps everywhere. We are hashtag queer AF, and so are you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 